Welcome to CSM Toolbox. Today, I'm talking to Emilia Gorczynska. Emilia is head of marketing at User Pilot and a product marketing enthusiast. She has experience of working with several SaaS businesses as a marketer and a co-founder. Her passion of content marketing, SEO, and SaaS products led her to build User Pilot's content ops, hiring system, and documentation from the ground up. She'll be telling us more about it and her journey next. Join me and let's open that toolbox. Right, from sales, and then you can learn about the most successful account types, right, and their engagement, their jobs to be done from customer success. That's the ideal situation that the whole revenue team basically huddles together and aligns along the same goal, which ultimately is revenue, right? So net revenue growth. Hi, Emilia. How are you? Welcome to CSM Toolbox. Hi, Isabel. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. All good. So I know how active you are on LinkedIn as um, head of marketing at User Pilots and have seen quite a few of your blog posts, your content. It is quite insightful. So maybe we can get started around, well, what problem is User Pilots trying to solve? Sure. So we call ourselves a product growth platform, which may be a bit of a nebulous term for some people, but essentially we are helping products teams improve such metrics as trial to paid conversion rate, right? user activation rate, user retention rate, reduced churn. So essentially any you know, user-related product metrics right? without you know, engaging the development resources or without any coding. So what does that mean in practice? We basically are a toolbox for, you know, product managers and product marketing managers to build in-app experiences for use onboarding, in-app surveys for collecting feedback on, say, new features, right, or user satisfaction. So that includes NPS. Um, We also allow to create self-serve support, right, both documents and flows. So you can create essentially this whole resource center Right, which is a hub where all your, say, documentation, all your video resources, and also interactive walkthroughs live inside the app. So whenever the user has any weird question at like midnight on Sunday night, right, they can still ask it and get a response instantly via the automated self-serve support. So yeah, it, it's a very robust platform, I would say, that allows you to do whatever you need to do to basically improve your product metrics. What I will see with platforms, just addressing that need of the customers in terms of that engagement that a platform can give, that can provide. I will see the use case around onboarding when you can actually, as as you mentioned, the in-app notifications or in-app walkthroughs, especially to make that use case with the customer around how they can actually start looking at a product or how can they start building up even from their own onboarding experience as well. Mm, Yeah. I was actually curious as well, one of your blog posts from the future of SaaS where you talked about user activation and something that um, I have to say caught my eye was if we are trying to improve in that, it's not something that, okay, I improved it, the process is there perhaps, and that's it. Like, okay, I go away and do other stuff, but it's actually 
something that it's constant so you cannot really just move on from it so could you please tell us your approach uh, about user activation and where where could someone start Mm -hmm. So first of all, you need to decide and define what user activation means for your specific product, right? And this can differ between different products, different plans, and even different personas. So if you have a more complex platform, we do, right? We may have different user activation points, right? And so a product manager that needs to build a user onboarding, for them, the user activation point may be creating the first flow, right? Or, you know, creating the first onboarding checklist. But for, say, product marketing manager that comes to use a pilot to, for instance, do go-to-market, right? Basically execute their go-to-market strategy and launch new features, right? This may be creating the first feature announcement in that, right? So basically, user activation is the point in time where your user sort of experiences the value of your product for them for their job to be done firsthand right so this basically may may be different for different users i would also you know go on further and say that you can have different activation points at different stages of the user journey and different levels of user maturity right and this is where basically continuous or evergreen onboarding comes into play right? You don't want to get them only to the first key activation point and adopt one feature of your product, right? You want to push them to experience more value, right? And explore other value driving features that match their use case that would help them to get their different jobs to be done done or maybe to get their primary job to be done better, right? But you don't want to overwhelm your users and um, push them to too many features at once as the old, you know, linear traditional product source would, right? So this is my view on user activation that essentially, A, the main takeaways, it's not the same for everyone. It's not even the same for, you know, one product, right? It depends really on the persona, on the use case, on the area of your platform, right? And secondly, just one point in time, right? What you mentioned around that framework, jobs to be done, that I think a lot of companies have implemented as well. So that's in a way that also comes into synergy with business objectives and what will be the ultimate goal when it comes to achieving their customer goals primarily. Yeah, it's, it's a very good, very commonsensical framework, right? It's just common sense to focus on what does your user want to achieve? Like what are they, I like this analogy, What are they hiring your products to do, right? So essentially, you know, if you're hungry in the morning and you drive past McDonald's and you grab a milkshake, you're hiring the milkshake, right, to make you not hungry before you go to work on your commute, right? So you can, like, have your breakfast while driving. I I read this analogy somewhere in some book, I think, I can't remember which one exactly, but it's a very, very good analogy for why this framework really works, right? Because then a lot of companies focus on the superficial demographic criteria when it comes to their users, like, oh, this is a senior product marketing manager from the company sized, you know, between 200 and 500 employees, 
that is in the fintech industry. But how is that, you know, telling you what this person is actually trying to achieve, right? Like I see more and more companies, and I mentioned that in my recent newsletter and my recent post from LinkedIn, I see more and more companies collecting these superficial demographic data during the sign-up process, during the onboarding process, which adds a terrible lot of friction, right? Because the users have to answer all these questions before they even see your dashboard, right? Before they experience any value, right? So I reckon these companies are risking very, very high drop-off rates, even for the qualified users. And I don't see them using this data because how is company size, right? When we're talking about hundreds of employees going to change the way you onboard a user that needs to, I don't know, build an enough a tooltip. So yeah, it's a bit insane when you think about it, right? But so many companies are doing it. Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm, I'm trying to remember as well the analogy that you said. Yeah, mm. I think it was uh, Clayton Christensen. I, I think that's his surname yeah. that the talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it is a really good analogy. I remember uh, from the first time I heard that mm. as well. And actually, maybe just going back to your role as head of marketing, a user pilot, what have you learned from your customers' feedback so far? From my customer feedback, I learned a lot of things. So the first thing would be that we often overestimate how much our customers actually know about product-led growth, about product adoption, that a lot of times, you know, they know that they should have something by a lot of product teams, especially in smaller companies and not sophisticated enough to have a product adoption strategy, right? So a lot of companies simply don't have like a user journey map or product journey map, right? They don't have like segments, user segments by specific personas, and they don't know how these different user segments interact with their product exactly, right? Which means that the biggest challenge for them is not how to build, you know, the experiences in user pilot, but what to build, right? And when to build it and whom to show these experiences to, right? So a lot of product teams have very limited resources, I would say. That's, that's still a big problem that they are usually spread so thinly between just, you know, delivering, so shipping features and doing discovery that there is hardly any time for actually doing adoption work. So after the discovery has been done and a new feature has been shipped, what happens? How do you prevent feature death, right? You know, there is this phenomenon that after... Basically, the go-to-market um, plays have been done, right? The feature has been released. All the release notes have been sent. Um, and the banner has disappeared after a week or two. Like, the adoption goes up initially because of these experiences and this, like, marketing campaign, essentially, for this new feature. And then it goes down rapidly because the new users who sign up after the campaign has finished never get to explore this feature. And I feel that what I learned from, from our users is that they only struggle finding time for, for doing all these things. There is also a lot of pressure from, you know, product management to focus on the delivery, right? I think Teresa Torres has been like spearheading the movement to focus more on discovery. That's great. Wes Bush has been kind of, you know, trying to trailblaze the movement and like pushing decision makers in products to also focus on adoption, right? But I feel like it's still very, very early days and the conversations I'm having with our users kind of confirm it, right? 
and that even leads me to my next question. And I think mm. you, you touched on that to some extent already in terms of product-led growth and customer-led growth. Do you think, are they mutually exclusive? What are your thoughts? No, no, they aren't. I would say they are like slightly different things, right? So product-led growth, I, w I consider product-led growth from like a company perspective, right? This is when company experiences revenue growth, basically growth as a company, right? Because of the, their products. So the product drives growth because, for instance, the pricing plans are well thought through, right? So if the pricing plans are usage-based and the product encourages more usage, right? It's well-designed, it's sticky, so the users come back to it. It really shows them the value. So, you know, they come back, they use the product more and more, right? And then they need to basically buy more and more credits, etc., etc. The company experiences growth as a result of what, how the product is designed, right? You can also kind of semi-artificially push your users, right, to increase their product usage and to increase stickiness, right, by, for instance, planting these in-app experiences, or pushing the users to explore premium features right, that are included in the higher plans, right? So say you could like do a bit of try and buy, right? Say the user has activated, they are adopting your product nicely, and then you see that they would benefit from like a premium feature and you're going to bait them just like a drug dealer, right? You're going to give them this new feature that is included in the premium plan for like two weeks and, um, and they're going to get hooked. You're going to show them the ROI of the product. That's another product-led growth play to show the ROI of the product. For instance, if your product is designed, we're using a product like that, to improve your position in SERPs, right? To rank your content better. You may actually want to encourage the user, push the user to plug their search console into your product and show them dashboards of the progress you're making with ranking for specific keywords they want to rank. This is where the aha moment comes and the user really sees the financial reward, the return on their investment in the product. So all these upsides can be basically achieved by product design. So this is what I would call product-led growth. When it comes to customer-led growth, this is when the impact of product-led growth leads the customers to recommend your product more. So the customers, for instance, by word of mouth, they start talking about your product, right? They start naturally recommending it. For instance, I'm very happy with the tool that I mentioned, the Surface SEO, right, for essentially you know, improving our chances to rank with our content because we're very heavily inbound and content driven. So, you know, whenever I talk to fellow marketers from SaaS and they ask me like, oh, what, what tools are you using for this? I'm pretty much always mentioning this tool, right? And when I'm writing some guest posts or blog posts, you know, or doing podcast episodes, I often mention this tool because this was something that really led me to like this aha moment when I saw you know, the dashboards and I realized this really solved my problem and this is bringing positive ROI. This is when the customers start talking, when they become your affiliates, for instance, or when they become like your ambassadors, whatever you call them, they take part in certain, in certain programs. This is where they can generate, you know, growth, revenue growth for your company. Also, what happens is when there is an intrinsic network effect in your product and the customers start inviting 
other users, right? This is also customer growth. Of course, there's a little bit of an overlap because you need to design mechanisms for the customer to, you know, start sharing your product, start inviting new users, team members, or just people that they are going to use the product with. So yeah, essentially there's a little, a little bit of overlap, but I kind of see the difference. At the end of the day, it's solving that problem. How can your platform be of service and for the customers uh, to achieve actually their, their business goals? Yeah, for sure. Mm. And I know you touched on Well, the product uh, management side, I'm thinking that one of the closest partners for customer success orgs and customer success managers, well, uh, I'm thinking uh, product managers as well, but also marketing. And what advice would you give, like rep me representing the, the customer success managers, what advice would you give us to build or improve the partnership between success and marketing right so definitely have like regular meetings once per month at least where you just exchange information so sometimes marketers are a bit siloed and we are also very busy we focus on acquisition right most of the time so we often don't get the chance to speak to the customers regularly right so Customer success can be the voice of the customer that will tell you like how are the most successful accounts, you know, behaving inside the product, right? You, so as a marketer that focuses on acquisition, you probably don't have time to, you know, dig into mix panel, amplitude or whatever, right? So you don't exactly know, but customer success is talking to these key accounts all the time. And you need that inside information in order to craft campaigns that will really speak to these target customers so the most successful customer persona or the most successful account persona is something that your customer success managers know very intimately because they work with them day in day out so they can tell you like which features are these people using most often so you can focus on these features when you're creating you know your google ads campaigns when you're creating your content plan when you're creating your retargeting campaigns especially right if we focus on building landing pages around these features in the first like as the first priority right they can also tell you which customers are the worst customers so you don't target certain company types or account types with, with your campaigns and then you do a bit of repel marketing maybe you're going to include in your post that well no actually if you have under 50 employees you don't have a product team you don't have a product manager you don't have the You know, you have a single product manager. User pilot is not going to be good for you, right? Because you won't have the resources. As I mentioned before, you probably won't know your product um, journey, your user journey well enough to be able to really fill the experiences, right? So talking to customer success can give you these insights very quickly, right? Can save you time and can also reduce your CAC, right? Because ultimately, if you create campaigns that are not very relevant to like the best type of leads or attract the wrong type of leads, and you wouldn't know because unfortunately, as a marketer focusing on acquisition, you focus on the conversion moment and then you rarely look at what happens next. This is where the customer success looks. This is their responsibility. Their responsibility is to keep the churn as low as possible make the customers as successful as possible. They will know which customers are successful. So obviously as a marketer, if you attract a lot of these bad leads, then the CAC will go up, the churn will go up. 
it can tank your company, right? Because you're spending money on the wrong things. Yeah, and you're right about, and, and this is something that I even look to myself about, we are obviously at the bottom of the funnel, not necessarily even aware of marketing activities mm. and as you said, the acquisition cost and all of that. But I think it definitely will be quite valuable for a customer success manager so, and for marketers to actually get together and learn from each other. And, and as you said, yeah, we will have that knowledge of the customer if maybe that campaign will be right or just, I think it, in a way, looking at also digital customer success, where at least I know I, I have been looking at content, what will be good to sometimes repurpose. I think mm. marketing at the moment, uh, I can say they are very close to them and actually just working on things that like email campaigns and all of that stuff that maybe mm. that's something that customer success can learn as well to implement themselves if it is one-to-many or one on a one-to-one basis with customers. So yeah, definitely. We should stay close eh, for sure. Customers yeah. as managers and markets. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And as you mentioned, sales as well, because then we cover like the whole funnel essentially. So you can learn about the prospects and the decision-making process from sales. And then you can learn about the most successful account types right? And their engagement, their jobs to be done from customer success. So that's the ideal situation that the whole revenue team basically huddles together and aligns along the same goal, which ultimately is revenue. So net revenue growth. Absolutely. And well, Emilia, before I let you go, something that I like to ask all of my guests, what's in your toolbox other than user pilot, of course, what mobile or web app you cannot live without? Oh, right. I mentioned one already that's Surfer SEO, that's for basically content, but we hired a head of content at the beginning of this year, so I'm not involved in content as much as I used to be. Then there is StoryChief, which is another content tool for publication and distribution. It helps us basically communicate with our writers and, you know, organize the distribution. Then... The tools that I'm heavily using now is basically Sales Navigator, right, for singling out the potential prospects based on certain account criteria, right? I'm using Apollo and Buzz.ai for, you know, enrichment and building out outreach campaigns. Yeah, so I would say like these are the tools apart from, you know, Google Suite, of course, and like Google Analytics, Search Console, Google Data Studio. These are obviously the tools that um, are using heavily as well to understand what's going on in our data. Of course, I'm using HubSpot, but I'm not going to say that I'm the biggest fan. <laughs> I think it's a bit too big. There's essentially so much going on in HubSpot that sometimes I'm like create some sequence. I'm like, where did the people in the sequence go now? Right? Yeah. How about yourself? Any tools that you would recommend? I'm very well, curious to learn from you as well. For customer success, I definitely use Loom mm. because I think when I have been working in digital customer success, that is, I think it's good to record something, either just answer a quick question instead of emails back and forth and just mm. trying to, I think, schedule meetings at any point point in time. It's quite hard. So you might as well just answer, still answer the question, provide that value and just send that quick Loom. So definitely Loom will be one of my main tools for sure. 
Mm, just to record quick videos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I use it as well. That's great. Yeah, it is quite good. So yeah, thank you so much, Emilia. And if folks will want to reach out to you, what will be the best, the best way for them to do that? LinkedIn, definitely. LinkedIn mm -hmm. or email Emilia at userpilot.co. Yeah, but essentially, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, as you notice. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you so much. Great, thank Have you. Good day. Have thank a you. great day. Bye. Este podcast foi editado por Aerolitos, edição inteligente.